Very few of us can prevent change, but all of us can make sure we are ready for it, regardless of when it arrives and in what shape it materializes itself. Let's get started. Sebastian Vettel's got it to Max Verstappen, and under braking, Leclerc has gone into the barriers at the penultimate turn. Perez ahead of Stroll, ahead of Ricardo behind. Oh, it's a tight finish. It's a photo finish, adding another championship to his collection. It's Lewis Hamilton, champion of the world. What was that? <laughs> is that from? Is that a quote from someone? No, I, I made that up today. Tom Sue. Can I quickly say, Tom, that I I generally felt like you'd been quoting like a a philosopher or something. Really? Oh, I'm very impressed. I'm very impressed. So it's my understanding, Tristan, um, as you told us very kindly in our group chats, that Red Bull are calling for an engine freeze for the next couple of years. Uh, Bring myself, Liv, and probably a vast majority of the audience of F1 in Review up to date with this story. Yeah, and it's it's a bit of an odd story, actually. Uh, last week, we discussed the shock news that Honda was leaving Formula 1 at the end of the 2021 season. And this left Red Bull in a bit of a weird position, in which they would suddenly have no engine supplier for both AlphaTauri and the Red Bull cars in 2022. If you want to hear about that, check out episode 14 of this podcast. Now, not wanting to return back to Renault power unit of old and also reignite the old fights between themselves and Renault, Red Bull announced its desire for an engine freeze. Now, what this would mean is that Red Bull would be able to take over the Honda Power Unit program and thus supply its own engines, however, at a much reduced cost. Now, this is because if the 2022 engine freeze came into fruition, it would prevent teams from developing the engines year on year. Therefore, Red Bull could keep keep producing the same engines without the need for investment into research and development. However, given that Ferrari has a terrible engine this year and is massively down on power, they are looking ahead to redevelop their own power unit over the coming years in order to catch back up to their 2019 performance and also back up to the Mercedes. And so Ferrari has said that, well, they're not willing to support this. And given that you're going to need unanimity across the teams in the paddock, it means it's basically not going to happen. Mercedes have said they're open to the idea, but again, with Renault making such power unit development gains, I'm unsure whether or not Cyril would be, let's say, open to helping the Red Bull, given that many bridges were burnt when Red Bull and Renault were last close together. Now, Red Bull has therefore threaten to quit the sport if they don't get what they want. Although whether or not they actually will or not is definitely up to debate, and I'd love to hear what you think, because, look, Red Bull currently in second, and with the amount of exposure and money that Formula 1 provides the team, I'm suspicious of whether or not Red Bull would actually pull out of the sport. And I can only speak for myself, but I'm getting sick and tired of Red Bull whining They are constantly moaning about their number two driver, the difficult handling of the car, and now they are effectively being forced to return to Renault thanks to their own previous decision making, and therefore now they're blackmailing the sport to get their own way. I know it's harsh, but it's true. So am am I just being mean to Red Bull, or is it time they just suck it up and get on with either having the Renault power unit or, you know, stick to their word? 
pull out of the sport. You know, maybe we should play chicken with Red Bull. To be honest, I think that they're being a little bit naive to be like the entire sport shall shall freeze engines because we are struggling and don't know what to do about it. Like, so <laughs> I think it is. It is. Yeah, you're saying they are sort of playing a bit of a game there to see what they can do, and I don't think that people should give them give it to them because obviously I want Red Bull to stay in the sport. We all want all of the teams to stay in the sport, but they can't just ask for a rule change just because it's not fair on them. Like Ferrari are having an absolutely shocking year. Um, they will, as you say, they will definitely need those engine changes. There's no way they'll be freezing theirs. And mm. and you say with all the other teams, and I don't see any. You say some might, like some might, some won't. I don't see any other teams really wanting to stick with it. Like Mercedes, maybe because they're doing all right. But every all of those teams want to advance year on year on year. And the idea of a, a sport that is like known for its advances every season and the, being sort of like the testing ground for the next big thing in road cars why would you just stop the advancing of engine manufacturing because one team isn't that keen on it and they're a bit stuck i think you're right i agree um and i i don't think though that they will pull out the sport i think that they're playing a bit of a game and seeing what they can do because for me red bull is i mean obviously it's such a big brand but for a lot of us and <laughs> red bull is associated as being an f1 team like yeah they do a lot of other sports um, but as their main, the main thing that they sponsor, I personally think it's the biggest thing. They, they shouldn't lose. They shouldn't lose that. Where does this really leave Red Bull? Because by doing things to, to threaten to, to leave the sport, don't they back themselves into a bit of a corner? And Tom, I'd, I'd be interested to see what, what you think, because now they've positioned themselves in a, in, in a place where they either have to now take them, themselves up on their own offer to quit the sport or they have to you know, just get on with it. But if if they do, that means yet again, Red Bull has proven that their own word, their own propaganda cannot be trusted. It is a very interesting one, this. I'm not really too sure how Red Bull think this would actually work in practice because Honda have made it very clear they want to leave the sport and go down a sort of greener uh, lane, shall we say, in terms of engine development and with their sort of long-term strategy. So it's not like Honda can go, well, okay, we'll stay, we'll be here, uh, we'll carry on with the sport because you are so nicely. They want to leave. So it's it's unclear how I think Red Bull will be, want it, will be able to keep Honda on board unless they're just paying through the nose to keep them there but that doesn't make sense either because that means Honda would be going against their word as well so it's confusing as to how well thought out this has been from Red Bull and as you say there's the danger that because they've put this on the table they may have to go and follow their own words, so to speak, and quit the sports. I think they're playing chicken with um, the rest of the grid and the FIA, and they believe they're too big to fail because they're currently the second best team in the sports uh, and bringing so much money alongside that. But they're only able to perhaps do this and are under the illusion that they are able to dictate to the rest of the teams because they are the second biggest team and because they're the closest competitors to uh, to Mercedes at the moment, be that a distant second. Um, do I think they'll quit? Not at all, I think. This is a classic mantra of the big teams. They try and sort of throw their proverbial weight around um, we've seen Ferrari do this as well in terms of tyres, in terms of, um, I believe, going back even further to whether or not cars 
could refill in terms of fuel during a pit stop they were against this as well so it's not unusual for a big team to say to the rest of the sport and to say to their competitors we're going to do it this way or the highway then slowly sort of recoil and and act as if they've achieved some sort of a compromise and a victory for them when in fact they haven't and i think it's a war of words uh, really and i don't really think anyone's taking this all too seriously purely because of the practicality of it yeah exactly and i think that's a real shame and it, it maybe it harks back to what we've also found with red bull when it comes to their own backing of their own drivers be it pierre gasly or daniel kvyat with them also saying one thing and doing another but we should talk about the precedents that red bull have cited for what they're proposing now in formula one there has actually been an engine freeze before Back in the V8 eras, at the at the end of the V8 era, they decided that they would uh, place those engines under larger restrictions in order to create a reasonable playing field. And this did have some benefits. I mean, it does have some benefits, freezing the engines. For example, it would reduce, as I said, the R&D costs, the research and development costs of, of um, a team pushing... Uh, and developing an engine further but are do you think red bull was only wanting this because currently they're in second place with no massive competition from the field behind i wonder if they would be saying this if if for example ferrari were battling them right now and perhaps red bull was in third place i think what's going on in red bull at the moment is they've thought well we're currently in second we can probably hold on to second we're okay with mercedes beating us for a while until we get a new power unit or new rules or or whatever so let's just play the engine freeze card so that we can just stay where we are i don't think they would be doing this at all if they weren't doing well and i don't think they've calculated teams like mclaren picking up mercedes power units and being better than perhaps better than them next year yeah i think you're absolutely right i think they are very much playing the reactionary card uh, on this one in terms of going forwards because they simply didn't see honda uh, making the decision to leave the sport. I don't, I don't think they ever considered that as a realistic um, possibility and therefore now they're just trying to try and pull something out of the hats um, to save themselves in the short term, if not the long term. I think really Red Bull are risking their reputation even further as we've sort of touched upon here. If they were wanting to present themselves as a sort of mature, grown-up team that has the ability to one day be a world champion again uh, and has the ability to compete with Mercedes in the long term or whoever is going to be up there at the front then they'd have just swallowed their pride and gone hi Renault uh, we didn't get along too great last time but um but we need an engine uh, legally you've got to comply with this we don't see an alternative around this so we're going to have to make up and um, and go again but sort of going on the idea of an engine freeze, surely that goes against what F1 is and what it stands for. It's about research and developments. It's about making cars that go faster, cars that are safer. And ultimately now we're looking uh, in the short term future, cars which are greener and more sustainable. So I don't get the idea of let's freeze the engines and conserve the status quo. I mean, I get it for Red Bull, sure, because they're in a let's say untouchable second place, which they haven't been for haven't been in for a while. But in terms of the ethos of the sport, it goes directly against it, doesn't it? Yeah, and yeah. you know, Liv, I wonder. <laughs> 
what you make of all this in terms of where it where it leaves them also for the the next set of rules that are looking to come in for 2026 I think is when they're looking to go to things like synthetic fuels the new engine regulations will come in there and whether or not this is just I don't know just a short-term solution because at the end of the day they just don't want to go back to Renault because they're too petty to try and make up and it's you know it's irritating because if for some reason Red Bull decided to quit the sport due to this that means effectively Christian Horner and Cyril had an argument and now we lost a team out of the or two teams out of the sport which is just silly yeah it, it seems so childish to me um it may even be thinking about it it may be Helmut Marco rather than Christian Horner I mean they're both just as whiny as one another but some of the stupid decisions that <laughs> Helmut Marco has made in the past I wouldn't be surprised if it was him um it, yeah, it's ridiculous. And I don't personally think it will have an effect on the stuff that's going to happen in um, uh, the engine changes that will happen in 2026. Uh, I think it's something to do with like the the current V6 regulations are only set in stone until then, and then it's different. But I don't, I'm not the expert on this, so I'm not going to just pretend that I know what I'm saying. Um, but it is obviously definitely more about sustainability um, and that with to get sustainability and in order to move forward with that, you need to be advancing your engine every year so it's again a freeze just doesn't make sense and it doesn't make sense for the future of the sport as a whole so i feel like in this particular moment of the future of the sport red bull are kind of more insignificant than they think because f1 is bigger than them what it just seems to be like a panic oh my god we haven't got anything for next year we don't um sorry for past 21 we don't want to work with renault what do we do it, it it's a rush silly decision and they won't stick with it they'll stick around because as i mentioned f1 is so important to them as a brand and they won't risk going from you know st- being one of the best teams um, to not even being in it at all. It's different from a minor team dropping out. They're they're a big team. You mentioned Helmut Marco there, and yes, this is a this is a man who was a an Austrian racing driver, a not particularly successful one. We should probably point out, <laughs> having only had nine starts in Formula One, he is a advisor to Red Bull. Mm-hmm. Why on earth does he have so much power? And he seems to have so much power. He's the one that set that arbitrary rule of the second driver needs to be three-tenths, no more than three-tenths slower than Max Verstappen. And he seems to be the one pushing all this pressure onto the drivers in, form, in, in, in Red Bull and seems to be relatively destructive within the, in the sport. Oh, yeah. I, I'm not a fan of the guy, um, and I do think it's very weird how he has the has this influence. I, does he bring money? I don't know. That's maybe something we need to look into. But he has such a strong influence. I remember at the beginning of lockdown, this was something that just really tipped me over the edge with him. He was the one that went, "Oh, I want to infect uh, all of the Red Bull drivers, including the AlphaTauri drivers and all of the junior team." with covid so then they once they've got it they, they can then go racing again he actually suggested they infected their entire team with covid because that would be the solution and it's like oh my god he he shouldn't like he shouldn't have as much power as he does i'm sure he does a good job otherwise they wouldn't have kept him there but how good a job i don't know and as you say there's always toxic like relationships there's always such a toxic environment going on in red bull we've seen this time and time again ricardo left albon's like crying every interview like <laughs> there's Poor clearly Albon. something going on there i know there's clearly something going on there and it it could possibly be him you're right he is no nicky lauder and all formula one teams have advisors from racing drivers it's just just what they do as as i just 
sort of pointed to Nicky Lauda um, advised for Mercedes mm. and yeah Helmut Marco is just Red Bull's version of that but it seems like he has this he's this grapple on he maybe has something on on Christian Horner you know <laughs> hiding in his pocket like haha I'll show the world this if you don't fire Albon or or whatever and and it's now Marco that that's pushing for this next generation of of drivers which we'll come to later on in 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 the podcast yeah. but I I do think this is definitely part of him and I don't know, I've become less and less fond of, of Red Bull, Christian Horner and Helmut Marko as it's as this season and perhaps last season's progressed. I, I don't like the attitude that they've developed now of, oh, well, we do what we want, either drop drivers or, you know, threaten to leave the sport. They're, they're becoming more and more erratic, I think, as they become more desperate because they know that they can't catch up with Mercedes. Now they're trying to keep hold of second. Uh, Helmut Marko seems to be one of these people who just likes chaos. As you said, Liv, he wanted his drivers and, should I say, the entire academy to get COVID. He's also opting for this freeze or is a proponent of it. Otherwise, you wouldn't have thought Red Bull would be in favour of it at this moment. And he always just seems to appear in the silly season of F1 every season without fail and just sort of stir the pot when it comes to drivers for next year. It wasn't too long ago, in fact, last season, when he said, yep, it's between Albon and Kvyat for the seat, uh, the second Red Bull seat, should I say, for twenty for the 2020 um, season. And now he's saying, as we touched on last episode, mm, we're considering Hulkenberg and Perez for the second seat. I don't understand why he's doing this. Obviously, there must be a reason for it. He's, one would think, not just... You know, spouting out um, sort of rumours and um, half-truths to get Red Bull some publicity. But I don't understand how Red Bull gain from these sort of comments. And as you said, as we've all said, these sort of knee-jerk and borderline reckless decisions on all parts of the constructors' team. I don't know, it's all smoke and mirrors, isn't it? Very much is, very much is, yeah. I suppose that's what they do. I don't know There's what. Got to be a strategy. There's there must be. be some underlying strategy, but or alternatively, they actually haven't got anything. I've, I've, I'm becoming more and more convinced in the fact that I don't think Red Bull have anything up their sleeve. I think their last hand, if you'd like, was playing the Albon card, and mm. I think that's. I think because that's failed, they are now scared about what next year brings or rather not next year the year after that because I think they are looking at Max Verstappen who is getting a bit itchy a bit itchy feet you know he's not going to leave yet but he won't stay with them for forever especially if they're not going to win a season so I, I, I think Red Bull are getting a bit nervous I think they're doing all this chaos because maybe they're like oh well if we quit before we've got nothing, then we went out, you know, on top. Maybe. Mm. That seems like the sort of childish thing that they would do. So, <laughs> quite possibly. Ugh. More luck than judgment, I'd say, um, mm. over this season and last season. Mm. I hope I'm wrong, but, you know, those are the vibes I, I do be getting. Poor Albon. I know, that's the, that's the real, and that's the real They're kicker, the isn't it? This is what annoys yeah. me. All of those drivers are the victims of this, of Helmut Marko and Christine Horner doing weird things. Like, there's a whole junior academy that are just going to be dropped, and Albon's been dropped enough, and, like, Albon was dropped by Red Bull when he was, like, 12. So, like, the idea of, like, there are all these drivers just going to 
be the victims, their careers could this could be a turning point because Helmut Marko is like a bit cocky. There seems to be a culture of fear at Red Bull, uh, fear from the uh, hierarchy of what's to come in the future and how they're going to retain their position in the constructors' championship, and fear that comes with the second seats of their car. How long a driver is going to last in that second seat? I mean. Gasly couldn't last a season. There's question marks over Albon. The, the going saying is that the, the ghost of Mark Webber haunts uh, that second seat of Red Bull. I don't think that's true. I think the hierarchy around Red Bull enriched and helped to create a further culture of fear, which only has a downward spiral for the team on track and off track, I'd say. I think it's also the ghost of Daniel Ricciardo as well. It's just the Australian ghost haunting the second driver seat. But no, you're right. Nothing can ever come from the, the fear. The fear thing. That's not how a good. That's just not a good relationship between drivers and their team. To be honest, I, I, maybe it's just a matter of time before Christian Horner, Helmut Marco, the top t- top leadership of the Red Bull Formula One team. Maybe maybe it's time that they let go. Because I think it's becoming a bit much for them. But Alex Albon's seat at Red Bull is not the only seat on the Formula 1 grid which is up for grabs come next season. Roman Grosjean currently sits 18th in the Drivers' Championship. He's risen from the lowest he's ever been of 21st in that championship. Um, he's now just in front of his teammate Kevin Magnussen. This is after he was able to finish ninth in the Eiffel Grand Prix. A 32-lap stint on the hard tyres was something which won it for him. He qualified in 16th place. A rather impressive race, shall we say, from the 34-year-old Swiss. But is that enough in your eyes to keep him at Haas? There's rumours going around regarding his seat and Magnussen's seat. Steiner, Gunter Steiner, the team principal of Haas, has stated that every driver on the market is under consideration uh, moving forwards for next season. But what do you think? Do you think Roman has done enough so far to save himself for next season? Could he still save himself or perhaps is the damage already done? Is, is, is he already sort of halfway out of the Haas door or uh, constructor's door, should we say? I, I personally think that he's gone I, I, I definitely think that definitely one of them is going there is no way that they're going to have the same line lineup as they did this year personally I think they might both go to be honest I've you know from what I've seen online and what I've noted and read about I I think they're both accept they've accepted it genuinely that, that that's probably going to be the case um I saw something where like Magnuson um said to a journalist like he was 90% sure that this would be his last year in F1 and, you know it suggested that, that would be the case and Grosjean's even talked about where what he's going to go next he's thinking about the World Endurance Championship um with Peugeot I think like French team so to me they've both accepted it and I I honestly don't think it, they're going to be 100% bothered They've, they're literally just crawling around at the back of the grid. You've, you mentioned a couple of decent, you know, finishes, but at the end of the day, they're not loving life. And you know, what, why do you want to keep going unless you're loving life? And looking away from how they feel, which obviously Gunsterner does not care about, it's actually about the team and the money for the team. They're obviously going to look other ways. These drivers are old news now. Let's look forward. So obviously, you've got. Um, People like Callum Eilert, who who was due to test in the Haas, but obviously was unable to because of the weather conditions. But interestingly, 
I saw, which made me like so mad, is Gordon Steiner said that he has 10 people in mind for the seat next year, the seats next year, and Callum Einlar is not one of them. I was like, who on earth are those 10 other people? Like, where are you getting 10? Like, maybe Perez could be one, and then obviously Nikita Mazepin, who um, we'll discuss, but 10 others and none of them are Callum Einlar, which I think is incredibly unfair considering how well he is doing. Um, but it's about the money. It's completely about the money right now, especially because of COVID. Um, it's the same with Williams, all these rumours about George Russell having to leave. Latifi and Perez, who, who you know, a possible lineup could be, we're just throwing them around now. Latifi and whoever, they're all, it's money. It's the money that they bring. It's, it's less about the talent. And because of COVID and the effect it's had on these teams, they're the choices they're having to make right now. They, they won't be around in the future to, 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 you know, to nurture great drivers if they can't stay around for the next two years. So they're all just gone into absolute survival mode and they're picking out drivers for their money. So I think that's what Haas is doing as well. Uh, Nikita Mazepin is essentially all but signed now, to be honest, in my opinion. I think I've seen so much about him saying it's a two-year deal, you know, it's pretty much going to go ahead. So boom, that's one seat gone. In my opinion, another seat will go as well. Um, I perhaps Calamilo if he's given a chance by Gunther Steiner but if not who knows where who else they'll get it's a weird weird situation but your question was like will you know is he going to hang on to it in my opinion neither of them will you're right it's odd that Einlott's not it's not stupid. not in the running because he's a, he's part of the Ferrari junior program yeah and he's he's sort of in my my I have him down in my head as sort of the British version of Charles Leclerc. <laughs> He's got the same sort of, you know, Charles Leclerc, Callum, my lot. You know, it has the same sort of ring to it in my head. And I, and you're right, I don't know why he's not um, being sort of, sort of put up as this up and coming. It, it's a bit weird. Maybe, maybe I don't know, maybe he's just not got enough money behind him. Hmm. He is, this is the thing, he is coming up as up and coming, but he's not being considered. And that's the difference. Everyone thinks he's brilliant, but... What's the reason for what we considered? You're right, it must be money. I don't know. Well, what, what, what because the other thing is he's getting quite old. I mean, uh, he's 21 years old, so he's, he's younger than me by a year. You know, that's that's that that that's quite old, you know. Now, apparently, because it got Charles Leclerc, Max Verstappen, George Russell, uh, Latifi, Stroll. Right, these these were all very young sort of drivers. He's now getting to his 20s, and you know, being part of the Formula Formula Two teams. For, for such a long time you'd have thought you know now was about the right time for him to be he's chucked into formula one especially as he's well he currently he's second in the in the formula two championship so i don't know has in terms of tom your your original point which we sort of i don't know we've sort of gone down a different path but yes i i I'd also don't, i don't think Grosjean and, and magnuson are going to be in the sport for much longer i think their their racing time is not up in terms of where they can go from here i think you're absolutely right Liv that he, they could both go off and do the, their own independent things. But to be honest, being a Haas at the moment is a bit, a little bit rubbish. They have become has-beens as, mm-hmm. as opposed to the up-and-coming, I don't know, up-and-coming American race team that are in their debut season sent ripples around the, the Formula 1 paddock by coming in on, with hardly any money and doing really well. Like, where has that spirit gone? It's just disappeared from them. So I think, I think, Haas itself needs some new drivers. I think it needs a, just a bit of a restructuring, a bit of a rethink. And especially as once they get the new engines as well from Ferrari, they will be on a much better footing because currently they're down on power. Their drivers are inconsistent. Yes, they're good drivers. And in, Grosjean was good in Lotus, Lotus and Magnussen has been, well, basically the only massive points scorer at Haas. But... 
it, I think we should be resigned to the fact that Haas is going to change quite a lot soon in terms of its drivers and perhaps its management as well because the way it's going at the moment is is just really bad for anyone who, who wants to drive in that team and you're right Liv it must be really boring at the back. Yeah I think you're both absolutely right uh, looking at Haas they've just become so stale over the last year or two years and keeping the same driver lineup doesn't help with that sort of environment or culture either mm. looking back at when Haas first joined the sports one reason they were so successful in my view and looking sort of statistically as well as the car they aligned themselves so closely with Ferrari I believe Ferrari even allowed Haas to get involved in some of their wind tunnel testing yes they did didn't they that was that was yes. a source of controversy oh huge source yeah but it makes you think if it was the involvement with Ferrari which helped them do so well when they joined in the first season and partly in the second it makes it even more confusing that they're or should I say, Gunter Steiner is refusing to even consider Cameron, um, Callum Illot uh, moving forwards, considering he's a Ferrari driver. Surely if Haas moving forwards are going to be anywhere near as successful as they have been, they need to align themselves closer with Ferrari, because as uh, Gene Haas himself has said, you know, the money is running out. If Haas are not competitive, he and the team, by extension, will leave, because there's no point pootling around in... Um, ninth and 10th place in the Constructors' Championship, not even on the grid, uh, or not even even on the grid, should I say. Mm. So it's interesting that they're going away from the sort of route of coupling themselves even closer to Ferrari. I still think, however, all that in mind, that Giovinazzi could even go to uh, Haas if he is uh, kicked out from Alfa Romeo to make way for Mick Schumacher, as the rumours are saying at the moment. That's a good point. Yeah. I've never thought of that. Can I ask, um, Callum Eilert was one of the drivers that was supposed to have a bit of a runaround in Germany, but that got cancelled because of the rain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he's going to get his test in Abu Dhabi, I think they've said. that the. I don't think they've confirmed them fully, but I would I would be so disappointed if they just, some, they just didn't get to try another again because the weather is not their fault. So I'm pretty sure it's looking like Abu Dhabi, but I don't think there's a full confirmation because um, Robert Schwartzman's getting a drive in Abu Dhabi, I think. And so doesn't Mick Schumacher too. Exactly, so there might not be enough mm. cars no, for but, them to um, get the drive. I lot, I lot was supposed to get into Grosjean's the car. Hat. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. It, it looks like there is some conversation between Eilat and and Haas and maybe maybe they're just trying to keep it on the download because they know that people like us you know nosy buggers like us will be like ah oh, we know what you're doing it's um, not like Steiner was like that he's not in contention like calm down pal like not even not even giving how does that feel to Callum after he's about to do a test for them or he's still due to do a test for them and they go yeah we're not looking at him we've got 10 other people in contention 10 other people what a load of rubbish are there 10 other drivers that have a super licence that are going to be available do you know what I don't know you know what I mean like yeah and also Let's let's flip that as well. Are there ten other drivers that currently go? Yeah, I want to go Haas. Mm, well, it's a seat in F one. It's a seat in F one. If it, it's a junior, then one hundred percent they'll take it. It is, but it do, do bear in mind that when you go into a into a junior team, you you sort of get locked down a path. Especially, it's it's become more so in recent years, when you let's let's for example take a look at the path of Charles Leclerc and the projected path of someone like George Russell. 
Charles Leclerc went from Formula 2 into Alfa Romeo. And then as the junior team for Ferrari went up to Ferrari as their youngest ever driver. Now, George Russell is currently in Williams and the projected path for him is to move to Mercedes eventually with perhaps a small detour at McLaren. But my point is, is you sort of get locked into the one grouping that you start off with. It's not like how it sort of used to be when drivers sort of flip-flopped between different teams. A good example of that would be Kimi Raikkonen, who drove for everyone from Ferrari, Alfa Romeo now, and McLaren. So I, I do think that part of the problem we have with these young drivers is they're now looking they're now looking at the their own set of cards, their own dealings, and think, well, how do I end up with Mercedes? Because mm. and so jumping into Haas essentially means you're locked to Ferrari. Mm. And that's not a good thing right now. I don't know. Well, yeah, but it's I I personally the way that I heard these youngsters talk, these young drivers I mean, there's a young driver that I'm working with at the minute. Like, I say young, I mean, he's he's no way at the moment. He's not not looking at F1 at all. But he's already thinking, like, my aim's F1. And then, like, oh, my mate's aim is F1. Like, that is all they think about from the age of eight when, or from the age of four when they get in the car. So in my opinion, like, I, I could be wrong, obviously, but I think that a seat in F1 for them is a seat in F1. And then from there, they work out where the hell to go next. I, I, I can't imagine... Unless they were like a corrupt company that you would like, if you got involved with, you might get shot in the middle of the night or something. Mm, I think that I, th- I think <laughs> <laughs> I think they would go for it. Honestly, I th- this is something that like is that well, they've worked their lives for it, and if if it's an opportunity, can you? They would not take it. That's how. That's what I think. But I agree. Ten of I still don't think there's ten. <laughs> like going back to your point, there is not ten people that are going against Keller Mylot. Like he deserves that seat. And to be fair, I think the pull that Haas has over younger drivers, going back to that that previous point, as Tristan was touching upon there, um, is the the dream of using Haas as a stepping stone to go to Ferrari. And regardless of how Ferrari are doing now, which is goddamn awfully, Ferrari are able to sort of present an image to anybody who's young and who's been watching Formula One for the last. 10, 20, 30 years that we are the grand old team of F1. Um, we have we are the home of someone like um, Michael Schumacher, for example. We are the home of, well, we're the oldest racing constructors as it is. And I think they have the ability to pull drivers more consistently than perhaps Mercedes because Mercedes, although they've been doing incredibly well, don't have that history or the romance behind them that Ferrari has. That could be to Haas's advantage. However, if they're not looking at someone like Callum Eilots and they're going for someone like uh, Mazepin, who is somebody who doesn't have any links to Ferrari but brings in so much money, his father, for context, being worth £7.1 billion, it shows you that Haas don't want to be a stepping stone for Ferrari, even though when I look at them, I see that as being probably their only selling points because if they don't have Ferrari on side how long do they last in the sport well that's quite a sad thing to to think and especially from you Tom do do remind us which team it is you um you you support and follow avidly listen here I've always been a huge Haas fan as I say 
Um, because, well, the reason I, I have always liked Haas is because, as we said at the very start, they are, are an upstart team that came into the sport, sort of blew everyone out of the water for a season or two seasons, um, took the fight to a well-established man, uh, manufacturing team of um, Renault and did rather well, but the sort of the shine's gone now and the, the money's running out and ultimately, I think... The the harsh reality of F1 and the expense of it is setting in to Gene Haas and co. I think Haas really need to refresh themselves moving forwards. But because of what they're able to achieve in the short term, I think, well, I don't know. I don't think every F1 fan will. But you've got to respect what they did in the short term because it's it's shaking up the establishment uh, of Formula One, which I think the sport desperately needs moving forwards. Haas, we are anarchy. Exactly. The big old anarchist from the US, right? Oh, actually, sorry, there is a bit of bit of yeah, news. The Australian Grand Prix organisers have said that they expect the race to be held there in mid-March as the opening, like usual. So it'd be nice to go back to Melbourne. It's my favourite, you know, that's my favourite race. As in, well, okay. The excitement of it with the first yeah. one back. It, it's also not my favourite race. My favourite race is actually spa so i can't say that it's but it's kind of my favorite race because i have the entire winter looking forward to it because yeah yeah so it's it's sort of mixed emotions and i love it when no one's on any points anything can happen you're like oh grosjean could be in yeah Yeah. grosjean could be in the lead he could russell russell might win oh that's exciting norris could there's there's a little and then and then hamilton wins and you go ah we're in this season again (laughs) normality is regime yeah but i felt that a few times this season though that that different kind of oh like because you know norris got that podium on the first race and i was suddenly thinking oh my god and like we've seen you know pierre i do i think i do think this season has been better than some in the oh my gosh so and so could do well this season (laughs) yes exactly and uh, uh, my favorite i think my favorite part of that this year so far has been watching very closely at alpha tauri and whether or not they beat ferrari i told you i know it's it's, it could happen it's it's looking more and more likely and i love that (laughs) i really do this silly season has been fantastic for just fun you know it's it's loads of people i know who haven't watched f1 before have started this season and to be honest it's a it's a good one to start with actually loads of different people on the podium loads of people different different people scoring points and some crazy crazy action from hamilton getting multiple penalties people's engines blowing up tires going wrong oh it's been fantastic yeah and talking further about alpha tauri the japanese driver yuki sonoda will be having his first drive of an f1 car in that very constructor's car on the 4th of november at imola uh, Liv, i believe you've got some more information about this particular story for our listeners i do so yeah it was revealed last wednesday that that would be the case um uh, Yuki Tsunoda is a Carlin driver in Formula 2 and he's currently sitting in third in the championship so we spoke about Callum Eilat in second um, Yuki is in third and there are two races to go so you know it's all to play for um, the news has sparked as um, it does for every everything does in Formula 1 it sparked rumours of you know what next year and what's happening in the, his future including becoming a potential candidate for an Alpha Tauri seat next year so Looking at Yuki in sort of two senses. Firstly, his experience and like, will he be ideal for the seat? And secondly, is he eligible and how will he how will he get that opportunity? So firstly, with his experience, um, 
like most drivers, almost all drivers in the paddock. Um, Sonoda started out in karting. Six years later, he he made his single-seater debut in Japanese Formula 4, just as a one-off, and then actually managed to achieve a second place. In, it's just in a one-off that he was um, a chance that he was given. And then he did a full season the following year. And in 2018, he actually won the title, having won seven races. In 2019, he actually competed in Formula 3, and the Euro Formula Open Championships, and he's doing two different series at the same time um, for High Tech GP and Moto Park, respectively. Finally, like as we're aware, Sonoda joined uh, Formula Two Championship in 2020, and he's been very successful. He um, has three pole has had three pole positions, five podiums, and two wins. So you've got a very successful and talented driver here who definitely has that potential. But is he, you know, is he eligible for that seat? So. He certainly is going to be eligible for the super license, being in third currently, right where he is right now. There's no way that he could lose, even if he did terribly the next two races. There's not really any chance of him losing the um, eligibility for a super license. And um, this test at Imola will hopefully enable him to complete 300 kilometers in the F1 car. Uh, this is the required amount in order for him to then move on and take part in a free practice at a race, a race weekend, like uh, the other his um, peers have been given the opportunity to. So he actually said in an interview that this um, test on November the 4th, the absolute priority for it is to gain those those 3,000 kilometres, sorry, 300 kilometres um, in order to then be eligible for a, for a free practice. That is the utmost aim of this. Um, and obviously it will give him great experience and I presume his first time sat in, in an F1 car. Um, so the, getting into F1 will definitely be helped by the significant backing he has by Honda. However, as we've been discussing, that may be less useful now that the manufacturers are leaving the sport at the end of 2021. Despite this, though, um, the general manager of Honda Motorsports said that he did not believe the Honda's decision to leave would have any impact on Yuki Tsunoda's graduation into F1. You know, the words he's used there, his graduation into F1, suggests that it's, you know, it's certainly on the cards, if not expected. Um, and let's not forget, of course, finally, that he is a Red Bull junior. Um, and we know how much Red Bull like to use their driver academy put them into difficult and stressful um <laughs> situations that they're not yet experienced for and <laughs> and then sort of oh no i'm sorry i was about to go on a run but no he is has that option as being a rebel junior to be given a seat at any moment because we they do like to um utilize their academy when they can so that's pretty much it for Yuki. Um, what do you guys think about him and his upcoming test? Do you think it's a sign of things for, to come? 2021, 2022? When's he going to be in F1? Because it seems like he will be. Um, I mean, yeah, this is fantastic news. We've got a, another young driver having the ability, fingers crossed, everything goes well uh, at Imola. And he's able to test drive, unlike um, uh, Elot and was Schwarzman unable to test as well? Well, no. This is this test is isn't at, in, a, in a free practice. It's just um, at a track, a, a, a private track at Imola for, in order for him to do a free practice in the future. Um, so, so Eilat and um, Schwarzman and Schumacher before they did, failed to do the FP1 that they were meant to do, they did one a version of this, the 300 kilometers at Mugello the week before. So this mm. is his pre test test if that makes sense so hopefully eventually it will be what an fp1 like like you mentioned with schumacher and i but at the moment it's, it's a sort of precursor to that but you're right um they, they would have done that um back at Magello, so similar sort of thing okay right uh my mistake um but nevertheless fantastic to see he's getting the opportunity to finally sit and race in an f1 car 
Um, hopefully this will be a sign of things to come moving forwards. Uh, it's a bit concerning, as you say, about the decision that Honda have made recently. Hopefully that won't hamper his career. I'd very much be doubtful if it does. Um, purely because if he's third in the F2 Championship at the moment, obviously the guy is incredibly talented and deserves uh, a go moving forwards. It does make you think, though, if he is being given the chance right now to not officially test, but to drive a Formula 1 car, how long will it be before he's given a chance, um, perhaps prematurely, as is the Alpha Tauri Red Bull way, it seems, to be given a go um, in one of their cars? Next year. Um, Next, next year, year, you think? Next year. <laughs> just quickly before you go to that, it's don't you think how it shows just how annoying the world is right now that he's third in the championship and he's looking like he's going to get maybe a seat and Callum Wylock is not being considered. Are you by any chance a fan of Callum Wylock? No, no, I'm no more a fan of Callum Wylock than I am of Yuki Snowder. I, I adore them all, the upcoming drivers, because I'm just so, I just feel like we've witnessed their growth, you know, and going into F1. But I'm just saying, it just annoys me, the politics of it, because if it were as simple as talent, positions one, two, three, four, whatever, would step up into car number one. Do you know what I mean? But it's not yeah. that. Like, anyway, go on about what you're saying. You think that he will be in a seat next year. So, so yeah, uh, sorry. Um, quick question, yeah. because I, I'm not sure about this, and I'm sure the viewers will be the viewers. I'm sure the listeners mm-hmm. will be the same as well. Um, mm. How long has Yuki actually been in F2? To, uh, to, uh, no, he's only just been in F2 for this, this year. This yeah, because um, he, was, he was the... Japanese winner in Formula Four. Yeah, in... so he won. He won um, Japanese Formula Four in 2018. Yeah, that's did, right. Um, to Formula Three in 2019, and graduated from Formula Three to Formula Two this year. So he's just new this year. But the fact he's a rookie and he's a third, like he's part of the he's part of the Red Bull Red Bull you know drivers yeah uh, lineup and well junior drivers lineup and when that used to mean something. Yeah, it's it's nice to see that up and coming talent. In the sport, and it, it does make me wonder why, why like Helmut Marco is saying things like we we haven't got any up and coming decent uh, talent that we can bring in for Formula Formula One because actually they do. Although it is good for Yuki moving forwards because if he's being given this chance, I don't know of any other um, Red Bull Academy driver who's been given this chance. In fact, I don't really know of any other. Um, driver who's in the academy at the moment and in um, F2 and doing well. Yeah, so, you've yeah. only got Liam Lawson and he's um, he's in F3, I'm pretty sure. There's not uh, a lot okay. of them that are big names, which is different. If you then look at Ferrari, their, their driver academy are absolutely up there. So it is a weird comparison considering Ferrari seem to have the better driver academy, but they're not using it as much, or are they? It's all so weird. But, well, maybe, um, maybe that's because they're stacking them. I mean... <laughs> Ferrari is in, a, as you say, Liv, is in a unique position this year where they've got that up-and-coming driver lineup with with Mick Schumacher, Callum Eilert, and Schwarzman part of it, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and and so they've got those sort of three big names. But actually, if you think, I I can't name any up-and-coming sort of drivers that I think might make it to Mercedes. No. I mean, I can name George Russell. And I think. Actually, no, I was going to say Jack Jack Eichen or something like that, but I'm pretty sure he's at Williams, so yep. ignore everything I said. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So maybe it's just because Ferrari junior drivers are like buses. You know, <laughs> you've got none for ages and then suddenly three come along at once. And then, of course, there's only two two drivers in the, in the, for the team in Formula 1. So let's face it, either Mick Schumacher 
Cal Milo or Schwartzman is, is going to be a bit disappointed, especially as, well, I suppose in the dream scenario, what you have, Mick Schumacher go to sort of Ferraris with Leclerc and then two, and then the other two go to Haas. Yes, I think it would be Mick and, I mean, ideally, Mick and Robert at, for, at um, Alpha Romeo and Calamilo at Haas. I don't think they would touch Ferrari at the moment. No, because of where... Carlos has just gone there. Yeah, kind of science yeah. is now there. But I yeah. do think science is definitely, and I feel sorry for science for saying this, a stopgap between. Uh, I, well, it's it's kind of <laughs> kind of a little bit true, isn't it? It's just think he's about. He's too good for them at the moment. Well, he he is too good for them. He's doing amazingly at McLaren. I wonder if he's you know looking over his shoulder at McLaren, thinking, <laughs> "Oh, what have I done?" Yeah, um, overtaking each Ferrari. Yeah. But at the end of the day, how long is his contract? So, do you know how long? It's career? two years. Sorry for interrupting. It's only two years. Two years. Yeah. Oh, but then that's see if it was four years or three or four years, I think right. That's you know that's sending him across the sort of latter half of or latter part of his racing career. But two years, it's a mm. bit of a stopgap, isn't it? it? It's that sort of contract length that you start thinking maybe Ferrari are thinking well if he can't perform as well as Leclerc, that's it. We only got him for two years, and we can just you know get rid of him after and send him on his way with a new Ferrari. Taking it back to Alpha Tauri. And you think to yourselves, though, you've got Albon, who's currently at Red Bull, and Gasly, who are, one would think, competing um, for the the second seat of um, Red Bull. And if we're going on the proviso that one of them will get it, i.e. they won't go and um, bring in, let's say, Perez or Hulkenberg, although that remains to be seen, that makes you think, obviously, they've given the chance to young drivers, they are continuing to do so, but where does that leave someone like Daniel Kvyat? 26 years old, it's clear moving forwards that he's not going to be promoted to Red Bull again, I can't see. So do Alpha Tauri go, well, let's take a chance on Sonoda because Kvyat's not going anywhere. Um, let, let's go for another young driver and spice it up even more. Could that be something they could perhaps consider moving forwards? Maybe not next year, but the year after? I think you're absolutely right, Tom. I think your prediction could well be something that happens with with Daniel Kvyat being ejected out of the sport and then bringing in someone like Yuki Tsunoda to to replace him. I mean, at the end of the day, but that that's entirely dependent on what they want to do with Alex Albon, though, because Pierre Gasly deserves to stay in AlphaTauri, and if Helmut Marco and the other executives of Red Bull decide that they want someone completely new for Red Bull well where does that leave Alex Albon and to be honest I think that it'd be more likely to put Albon and Gasly back into AlphaTauri than than bring Yuki Tsunoda into the junior team and perhaps that's what perhaps this is actually what Hel- Helm Marco means when he says that we haven't got any any we haven't got a selection to bring new drivers up but the reality is they just don't want to bring any of them up because they actually want a top-down approach, filling up the Red Bull, then filling up the Alpha Tauri with the drivers that they deem not as good, which is a shame. But it, you know that might be the reality. And this is the problem with, with someone like Yuki Tsunoda is he might be really good, but he, he's got nowhere to go given that Ferrari's junior academy is pumping out good drivers left, right, and centre. So, uh, uh, and that's before we even get into the drivers with all of the money, such as. As a marzipan, or is he as she's mazipin? Um, is it mazipin? Mazipin. That's it. Um, yeah. Mazipin. So th- there's so much competition. It's not all about talent anymore, which is just 
just so sad. That is really sad that it's not bad talent. Big time. I think my view is very much the idealists of um, a, a sort of meritocratic view that uh, talent will win the day. But as you say, um, looking at how Haas are proceeding going forwards, looking at the pull that someone like Perez has because of his finances, hey, he's a great driver as well, but money talks. Um, and the fact that the Strong family were able to buy part of Williams, buy their own team, and then Lawrence was able to put his son in one of the uh, racing driving seats is, in my eyes, in the eyes of, I think, everyone who watches the sports, everything that's wrong with Formula One. And I can't see that changing anytime soon, unfortunately. Big sad. Yeah. What a depressing place to move on. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> And so ends episode 15 of F1 in Review. Thank you very much for listening to the end, dear listener. Once again, we've spoken about a vast array of topics, as always. First of all, we spoke about Red Bull's desire for an engine freeze. We know that Honda will be leaving their partnership with Red Bull in 2022. And to put it plainly, Red Bull do not want to get back together with Renault and want a freeze of all engines, which would mean that all constructors would have to keep the exact engines they have at the moment moving forward for however long the freeze carries on for. Um, Interesting, shall we say. Interesting times. Uh, Secondly, we spoke about Roman Grosjean and the Haas seat, which he currently occupies, as well as Kevin Magnussen's seat. But for how much longer will the Swiss and Dane be able to hold on to these seats? Uh, Gunter Steiner, the team principal, has stated that both the drivers should look elsewhere for the future, meaning that they may or may not have their seats, and that all drivers on the market are under consideration. But with Roman Grosjean finishing in ninth place uh, at the Eiffel Grand Prix, has he done enough to perhaps convince uh, Gunter and Cohen, in fact, Gene Haas, that he's worthy of another crack of the whip? And finally, we spoke about young Yuki Tsunoda, who will be driving in a sort of private test format, one of the AlphaTauri cards at Imola on the 4th of November. The young Japanese driver is currently third in the F2 Championship, but how probable is it that he will get promoted up to either AlphaTauri or Red Bull, especially considering the tough competition he's got from people uh, also in F2, such as um, Callum Illots, as well as Robert Schwartzman and Mick Schumacher, and those who have a lot of money, like Mazepin, as well as the established drivers looking for seats, such as Sergio Perez, Giovinazzi, and Hulkenberg. I suppose we'll have to wait and see as to whether or not Yuki will get his go either next season or the season after. But exciting times if you are, of course, a Japanese F1 follower and and enjoys seeing uh, the younger drivers being given a go but until next time we'll be back reviewing the portuguese grand prix where a young angus will be returning for that episode don't you worry for those listeners out there concerned about where he is he will be back he's just a bit busy with um, other things shall we say we'll allow him to expand on them uh, next episode if he chooses to do so But until next time, thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you in episode 16. Was it Callum Eilat that you knew from school? George Russell. It was George Russell? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I can't say I knew him very well, but um, but yeah, we crossed paths on the corridor, man. There was even one point, this is actually quite a funny story, I was like a young 
would have been nine or ten years years old, I was just walking out of a um, <laughs> sorry, I was walking out of like the lunch hall, right? And there he comes yeah. along, um, just come out of the, uh, the 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 changing rooms, ready to go and play hockey. And he just sort of runs into me and goes, oh, for now, <laughs> and then just runs out. What? I, what, so was he in a different year? I thought he was our age. Is he not in the year above? Actually, no, no he's older. He, he was the year above. above, but that was, that was there you go. That, that is the single memory I have of him. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> brilliant.